Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Four Persons Show on Blog Talk Radio. We are your enthusiastic and faithful Catholic apostolate. For more information about what we do, go to our show page at thefourpersons.com and our blog site at thefourpersons.net. To call in tonight with your comment or question, dial 515-602-9655. The number, again, is 515-602-9655. Friday night, and you're normally used to hearing the Luke Haskell show. Well, Luke couldn't make it tonight, and we have a guest that I really wanted to get on, somebody who I was on his podcast and was treated very well, even though I showed up rather scruffy looking. And uh, (laughs) I wanted to invite him back because um, I thought we hit it off – very, very well, and I thought he had some very, very interesting insights and things to say. David Ross from the CBS podcast, welcome to the four persons. How are you doing this evening? Can you hear me? David, are you there? That's really strange. We did a mic check. Uh, Before the show started, to check our microphones, David, if you're there, I can't hear you. Um, Try to disconnect and reconnect again, because I'm not hearing you. Okay, he just hung up, so that tells me that he's hearing me. So let's, uh, let's let him call back in and then see what happens here. Anyway, David is from Canada, and he has a uh, fledgling podcast. He's already had uh, a few good guests on. I know he had Sean Murray from Catholicism Rocks, and we'll have them on tomorrow. All right, let's see if uh, we got David now. David, are you there? Yes, can you hear me now? Uh, I can hear you now. You know, it's just... I told you before you came on that usually when the first time someone calls in, they usually have microphone problems. It's something with the uh, with the switchboard doesn't want to recognize your microphone. But we got uh, you now, and that's all yes. that matters. Man. They even insist you have to use uh, like Chrome or uh, the Chrome or um, Firefox. They say it's it's very not not friendly to other browsers for some reason. Hey, what well, you know about this IT stuff? What I know about this IT stuff, you could write on the head of a pin and leave room for the Declaration of Independence. So, <laughs> again, how are you doing this evening? Amazing. It's amazing uh, meeting you, John, and uh, thanks for taking the time to come on to my little podcast, and uh, I'm happy to be on yours. 
Well, the honor is all mine. I know you caught at least part of our show last night. Uh, Kevin was uh, quite an interesting guest, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. I really like anyone who talks about the Marian apparitions. Uh, you know, I'm very excited to uh, hear about it. And, you know, I only subscribe to the approved apparitions. And your guest uh, is an expert. And he he sort of told me what I wanted to hear about Medjugorje and other things. So, uh, yeah, I listened to most of it. Yeah, it was very interesting. Did you catch what he said about Amsterdam? Uh, no, I don't recall if I heard that okay. part. Yeah, that's a very, very interesting case there because that was, um, you know, the, the podcast that I came from that I formed and used to belong to and had to leave primarily because of Medjugorje. <laughs> uh, me, and, me and you have talked about the story. Uh, but one of the apparitions, uh, one of the things that they said about Medjugorje was that the Vatican took the investigation away from the bishops there in, in Mostar, and that that was the only time that that had ever happened. Well, that was false on two levels. Number one, the Vatican did not take anything away from the investigation of Medjugorje, just what happened was it went through its natural progression as it got bigger. First of all, it started as a, as a diocesan-only event, and then it became larger and affected the entire area. Then it affected the entire nation of what was then Yugoslavia, and then it became a worldwide phenomenon. So as it escalated, the response was larger for no other reason than how to, how to handle the pil pilgrims, how to handle all these influx of people. So Medjugorje really followed the natural progression. However, Amsterdam was a different case because Amsterdam, the first four bishops condemned Amsterdam and condemned it emphatically. And then what happened was it got elevated to the Vatican and the Vatican backed up the bishops on two different occasions. The Vatican was squarely in the corner of the bishops and said that they were they were right in condemning it and then the Vatican themselves condemned it. And then another bishop comes along and he decides he's going to take it upon himself to overturn the Vatican's condemnation of Our Lady of All Nations. Mm -hmm. And uh and the Vatican slapped that down and issued a proclamation through the Catholic News Agency, it was covered by the Catholic News Agency, that people were not to support this event and, and promote this propaganda, and they were not to call, uh, address Mary under the title of Our Lady of All Nations. The reason I brought this up is because that was an emphatic example of just what this person was saying happened in Medjugorje, but it happened here in, in Amsterdam. And then five months later, they were running three nights of specials on promoting Our Lady of All Nations, right after the Vatican told them not to do it. Uh -huh. So what is it about people that uh, they can't take no for an answer? I, I can't understand that. Can you, can you understand that? No, but I do recall picking up a little um, leaflet or something about Our Lady of All Nations and someone right away, like this was in a church, a big church, Catholic church mm -hmm. here in Montreal. And someone right away uh, just sort of saw over my shoulder what I was reading, and they said, oh, you should be careful, that's not approved, and it, it's, uh, I don't know if you said it's been condemned or not, but 
I got the idea that it wasn't uh, that it wasn't approved. So that's the first that I ever heard about it. Yeah, just picking up this little flyer. But yeah, I don't understand the attraction to um, you know non-approved apparitions, and my default position is to be skeptical. And uh, even if I myself had a vision of the Blessed Virgin Mary, I would renounce it in the name of Jesus Christ as satanic, because a lot of the great saints that had visions, that's what they did. Because uh, if you're if you're right and it is demonic, then it goes away, and if you're wrong, then <laughs> it doesn't. You know. And if it's genuinely, if it's genuinely Our Lady, uh, she has a way of making that known. <laughs> if you know yeah, any of the, yeah. if you know any of the approved ones, just trust Our Lady. Okay, if she has something to say to you, she'll make it known. Um, but let's talk about some of your some of your favorite uh, approved apparitions. Why don't you tell me three, three or four of what you would consider, you know, your favorites? Yeah, well, they're the classic ones, you know, Fatima, Lourdes, and Guadalupe. Guadalupe, but I also have uh, some special, uh, you know, devotions to. Uh, well, I like I like Our Lady of Good Success also in Quito, Ecuador. I like, um, but there's one maybe a little bit less well known, which is uh, Our Lady of Good Success. Uh, did I just mention that? Uh, no, yeah. just hold on. Am I thinking about the right one? Um, no, our uh, the Lady of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. That's the one. Uh, our Lady of Perpetual Help. Do you know the one? Yeah, that's uh, Pont Main, France, I believe. And there's also the the one that was popularized by um, Blessed Bertolo Longo. Do you know his story in uh, Sicily? I believe it was, or where was it? No, uh, Pompeii. Our Lady of Pompeii. I'm familiar with it by title only. It's not one There's of the ones that I've a, gone in and read the story. It's a miraculous, miraculous image that had a lot of conversions, and it wasn't a particularly beautiful painting, um, but it just had a lot of miracles associated with it. And the reason I have a, a devotion to it is because I used to be a Satanist back before I was Catholic, and Blessed Bertolo Longo was a Satanist. He was a high priest in uh, Satanism before he... Encountered Our Lady in the Rosary, and he became a champion for the Rosary. But my top three are Guadalupe, Fatima, and Lourdes. I think, like a lot of people, those are the top three. I think. Yeah, I have a, a kind of a particular sentimental devotion to Our Lady of the Snows. Are you familiar with that one? No. Okay, so uh, the uh, Basilica of Saint Mary Major in in Rome was built in honor of of, of that one. It is. One of the approved ones, it's on the short list of approved apparitions. I think there's 25, I believe, 25 approved apparitions, 16 that have been approved at the bishop's level, um, and the nine that, that were directly approved by the Vatican. And it is one of those. Uh, oh. the, story, the story of Our Lady of the Snows was that Mary appeared in, in August, August 5th, uh, and said that she wanted to have a... Uh, to have a uh, uh, basilica built, a, you know, a shrine built, and that uh, she would present a miraculous sign to show exactly where she wanted it to be built. And lo and behold, she created a miraculous snowstorm, and the snow fell exactly in the form of the foundation where the church was to be was to be wow. built, which wow. is pretty neat. Now, let me yeah. tell you why I have a uh, 
a affinity for this story, a personal sentimental affinity for this. Um, I told you that my family's been through some some awful, awful stuff. Yeah. And while we lived in New Jersey, we had to send a, a family member to prison for 20 years. And uh, long story short, I'm not going to go into, into any of the horror, horrid, horrid details. But um, one of the ways that my uh, daughter was traumatized by this horrible situation, my oldest daughter, Melissa, is that she had this aversion to the color red. She had this uh-huh. this, this horror of the color red. Um, so she was attending uh, college in New Jersey, and uh, we, we were living down here in Virginia. And it was uh, – I was just starting my Christmas break, and um, we were going to pick her up school and bring her down here and she was going to spend Christmas week with us and I remember uh, going to uh, Reston because my boss had called me and asked me to come in to pick up my Christmas bonus on the on the on on the way in on on the way to you know my trip so I'm, I'm I remember going there to get the Christmas bonus and it was raining like just crazy 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 raining and um, so my daughter is about, I guess, about five and a half or six hours away. But it was just raining like crazy. And we waited and we waited and we waited and the, and the FedEx truck, you know, wasn't showing up. And finally I told my boss, I said, look, I, I got to go. I got to pick my daughter up. I'm five and a half hours away. I got to go pick her up. I'll just have to come back Monday and get the and get the bonus. Well, lo and behold. As I'm pulling out of the parking lot, the FedEx truck pulls up. <laughs> able to able to get my bonus, but I'm driving to New Jersey, this five and a half hour trip, and my daughter starts calling me every few minutes and telling me, "Dad, you got to get here. There's, you know, this this snowstorm is, you know, if if you got to get here as quick as you can, you know, you're not going to be able to get, you, you know, to get out. The snow is coming down so crazy." And I'm like, well, that's that's interesting because um, oh, I want to welcome someone in the chat room. Uh, Duck Northwest Media is in the chat room. If you'd like to call in, the number is 515-602-9655. Feel free to call in. So anyway, the whole way that I'm driving there, it's raining, raining, raining. And then I, I, I get into Delaware, and it's still raining. And I get into the bottom of New Jersey, and it's still raining. And I'm going all the way up through New Jersey, and it's still raining. And I'm getting like a half an hour from where she's at, and then 20 minutes, and then 15 minutes, and it's just raining, and raining like crazy. And I and I'm called Melissa, and I said, Melissa, where is this snowstorm that you keep talking about? And she says, Dad, do you really think I don't know what snow looks like? So finally, I got like 10 minutes from the college, Dave. Okay? Wow. I'm literally like 10 minutes from the college, and it's still raining. No sun, no, no snowflake anywhere. And I'm like, Melissa, I, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm almost there, and I don't see any snow. David, I got like literally like two miles 
from the college and instantly drove into a blanket of snow. It was like it was like the craziest thing I've ever seen. No transition at all. It was absolute downpour and then into a wall of absolute blizzard conditions. And I looked at her, and and I thought to myself, I said, well, isn't that just like my daughter, to have her own private little snowstorm? But um, the thing that struck me is when I drove up and saw her waiting in the parking lot, she had this bright red coat on. And I, that just struck me as that was her that was her independent statement that was her victory statement that she had conquered that, and that here she was celebrating Christmas with her private little snowstorm, uh, and because of that I've I've had a a, a a secret devotion to Our Lady of the Snows. Anyway, nice, nice, beautiful. <laughs> so Fatima, you like Fatima and Lords and Guadalupe? Of course, those are probably the big three. Yeah. Uh, Our Lady of the Miraculous Medal would be would be yeah. what do you think what do you think of Our Lady of Mount Carmel? That's an interesting one to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's the first the very first one, right? That's uh, <laughs> that was one of the oldest well, uh one of the oldest um orders, I guess, religious orders. Well it's have. definitely the first of it's definitely the first of the of the approved recognized apparitions you know there's some traditional alleged apparitions before that but the interesting thing about our lady of mount carmel is that um well of course you know a lot of people don't know there's a lot of people who talk about uh, armageddon don't realize that armageddon is not a time it's a place you know when yeah. people talk about the battle of geddon it's it's actually the plains of Megiddo. That's what that's what Armageddon means. It means mountain of Megiddo, yeah. and that is Mount Carmel. Uh, and the interesting thing is that that is the mountain where uh, Elijah had his famous victory over the prophets of Baal, and he called down yeah. uh, fire to the, the, to consume the the holocaust and everything. Uh, but the last thing that he did was he laid down his vestment, the vestment that fit over his shoulders, folded it and laid it down and gave it to Eli- uh, Elisha, the, his successor. And I just think, isn't that an interesting foreshadowing of the scapular of Mount Carmel of Our Lady that also is worn over the shoulder? And, Amazing. And I've... I've almost looked at that as like Mary is is the modern Elijah, and it, the sure. same the same place. So, what gave you the idea to start what you're doing. First of all, how long have you been doing it, and what gave you the idea to get into video podcasting? Well, I started audio only, and I started in uh, 2016. And the reason I got into it was because I was just uh, you know I had converted from uh, atheism, atheistic Satanism uh, in 2009. And I was just annoying everyone. All of my friends and family were getting annoyed with me because I was just constantly talking about Christ and his church. And you know how it is with a fresh convert, very uh, zealous and on fire and very talkative about, about Christ. Uh-huh. So uh, my wife uh, said, hey, instead of annoying 
uh, everybody in real life, why don't you talk to people that actually care, go on the internet and find people. There must be people that share your interests. Why don't you go and meet some? Because no one, no one at this party right now cares about what you have to say, right? So stop talking about Jesus and let's have fun with our friends. So uh, that gave me the idea like, hey, yeah, there probably there are people on the internet that care about Christ in this church. And so, uh, yeah, I just sort of started reaching out to people, say, hey, you want to talk about your faith? And I talked to uh, Protestants. I talked to, uh, my, my idea was to talk to non-Catholics only, but then eventually I started to talk to Catholics. At first, I only talked to dissident Catholics, Sedevacantists and people like that. Uh-huh. Um, but then uh, I started talking to faithful Catholics, and it just was so enriching enriching that I thought, hey, this is great. And so I started talking to more and more faithful Catholics. But I'll still talk with Protestants, atheists, uh, Muslims, Jews, anyone. Yeah. So it's just it's just amazing uh, having a conversation about faith, philosophy with people from around the world. And the Internet allows us to do that, you know? Yeah. You told me that you don't really like, you don't prefer debating. Um, that I, I love to debate. Um, yeah. It's just. It's a it's a itch that I have to scratch sometimes. And I've had about I've had about twenty five uh, online uh, debates, um, ah. and I would I would argue that uh, I believe that I won every one of them. Uh, of course, maybe there's a little bit of pride there, um, but uh, there's some I think some were closer than others. Um, I have to be honest with you. You've been very very cordial and polite and. Um, it's hard to picture you as a Satanist. That's quite a journey. That's that. Yeah. I, I'm just saying that's quite a journey. How did you? First of all, well, how did you fall into that? And then and and then, what was the process of you being making that transformation? Well, it's not. It's you know, Satanism. I think is the the number one religion on this planet. It's it's not uh, it's not as scary as you might think it is. All it is, it's, uh, you know, some of the other words we have for Satanism are modernism, rationalism. Uh, it's just putting yourself and your own intellect and your own will above absolutely everything else. That's what Satanism is. So it's, it's got nothing to do with, uh, you know, the, the version of Satanism that I believed in was atheistic Satanism. So there is no Satan. It's the Satanism minus Satan, and it's the Satanism minus God and the angels and the supernatural and everything else. So it's, it's so it's kind of like what you're saying is it really was worship of self, which is yeah. in fact is worship of Satan without being aware of of exactly. being. You're actually yeah. serving him without with well at the same time not even acknowledging that he exists. Am I correct? Exactly. Yeah. It's okay. The, it's the most subtle form of Satanism. It's the best form in terms of. If Satan wants to get people fooled, it's the best way to fool them because they think, yeah. hey, I like science. I like reason. I like logic. I like knowledge. You know, it's the best mm-hmm. and the most subtle form of Satanism. If you want to win someone, win some souls for hell, it's the very best. You know, the other form is theistic Satanism where you have to kill babies and drink their blood and do rituals and all this sort of thing. It's right. not nearly as good. The numbers aren't nearly as high. And it's a very niche form of Satanism. And uh, it's more just a distraction from the real Satanism, which is atheistic Satanism, where you, you know, you have very acceptable views. Everyone, everyone agreed with my views when I was an atheistic Satanist. But if I were a theistic Satanist, 
very few people would agree with sex and violence being, uh, you know, total license for the most perverted forms of sex and violence. And I was not attracted to that. And so I would never go for that sort of uh, Hollywood form of Satanism. But some people do. Very, very, very few. Like, I mean, the percentage is, I think, negligible. So so what were the issues? Uh, walk me through the process that eventually led you to, to Catholicism. Well, I was, you know, I make a very long story short. I was born and raised Protestant, very loosely in a very liberal <clears throat> Protestant church here in Canada. It's the most popular denomination in Canada called the uh, United Church of Canada. And we actually have atheist ministers. It's the first Christian community to accept atheist ministers. That's how liberal it is. So just to give you an idea, I was raised very loosely Christian, but I had, you know, a love of Christ. But at age 14, I lost my faith in a dream. I had a dream about Jesus. It was a very pleasant dream. And I used to love praying and all these sorts of things. But when I reached the age of 14, for whatever reason, uh, I blame puberty and all the hormones and all that sort of thing. Like God let me uh, stray at that time because uh, Satan wanted to fill my life with uh, darkness and lust and these sorts of things and crime. I got into crime and drinking and driving, all kinds of stuff from a very uh, early age, not 14, but uh, a bit later. But it was a dark time, and uh, Jesus waved goodbye to me. I'd lost my faith. But I always maintained a love of the truth in terms of philosophy and these sorts of things. So I was reading philosophy my whole adult life. But 25 years later, I came back to the faith because of philosophy. Once again, I started diving deeper into philosophy. I studied physics at university, so I have a love of science, too. And... um, You know, it was uh, my love of truth, my love of philosophy, and my reading that uh, led me all led me down all kinds of garden paths, each one darker than the next uh, than the last. And I ended up being, you know, like I said, uh, uh, an atheistic Satanist and a hard solipsist, which basically means that I believed that I was God, I was the only being, and that no other beings existed, and even the material universe and my own body did not exist. That's that's the depths of the, the insanity that I fell into uh, through my pursuit of the rational devoid of God. So, uh, you know, having reason and logic means nothing if you're not grounded in God. Right. So, so did I tell you how I came back to the faith? Do you want to hear that? Yes. Yeah. I'm interested in hearing that. Well, it was a very, it was a very quick and easy story. I mean, basically, my love of philosophy continued, even though I thought I was the only being, and I thought I was lost in some sort of dream, like I was just a god who was dreaming. For entertain, for just to entertain myself, I had this crazy dream that I'm a human with two arms and two legs and all these sorts of things. But um, I continued to study uh, philosophy, and I continued to go to my job, and I continued to live my life. And my wife had no idea what I was going through, but. Um, Basically, reading Rene Descartes brought me out of my hard solipsism, and he brought me to God the Father. I was reading Discourse on Method, Discourse on Method by Rene Descartes, and he talks explicitly about hard solipsism, and he talks about God, and he talks about how obvious it is that God is God, and there's, it's not just a, a dream that we're living in; it's uh, it's real. And he didn't really. He didn't really impress me with arguments, logical arguments. He just sort of took it for granted. And at this point, I was, you know, I was oppressed by the the weight, the existential weight of being God. It's not a fun job to have if you're not actually God. To pretend you're God is not a fun place to be. So I was very happy to uh, have this opportunity 
to uh, say uncle, as it were, and to admit that I'm not God, that God is God, and then the rest is history. And uh, I can talk a little bit about the aftermath of that, too, because there's some interesting things there, but I'll let you uh, respond first. No, I, I, I think your story is, is, is fascinating. Um, what, what, what I'd like, really like to know is you get down to the nuts and bolts, though, or what were – were there any particular issues that were easier to work through than others? Were there any particular doctrines or issues that were more difficult for you to to, to well, work through on your pathway? Your well, the 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 part of the story I haven't told you yet is that I became I, I became a monotheist, but I was not instantly Christian. I was anti-Christian when I became a monotheist. Right? I hated Christ. I hated His Church. And because I was an atheist for 25 years, so there's that opposition, right? And uh, I thought, well, I believe in God. I have to worship God, and I have to worship God publicly, so I have to find out which of the monotheistic religions is the true one or at least the closest one. And so I thought, well, I can't be a Jew because you can't just elect yourself into the chosen people. And Islam, you know, I guess I'll try to be some sort of Muslim, but that's very inconvenient, and I don't believe in Muhammad or the Quran. And so just so happens that God sent me a monk, a Catholic monk, into the, my place of work. And I recognized him by his robes that he was Catholic. And I said, can you please teach me about God? Because I just discovered God. I'm in love with God now, but I don't really know much about him. Um, and he said, sure. And he, he instructed me. But before he instructed me, he took me to the Mass. And I said, wow, this is amazing. I want to join the Catholic Church because of the Mass. And uh, because I had this compulsion as a, as a generic monotheist, even though I, have, I was anti-Catholic, I had this compulsion to worship publicly. And when I saw the mass and I saw how beautiful it was, and I sensed by divine grace, I sensed that there's something special here in the mass. I said, I want in. I told my friend who's a monk, I told him, uh, thank you for bringing him here. Yes, I want, I want to join. Uh, what do I need to do? And the problem, I told him, the problem is I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in the incarnation. I don't believe in in uh, the trinity even so what are we to do and he said it's not a problem i'll just teach you and instruct you and you'll ask questions and i'll provide you with the catholic answers and if you end up accepting everything then you're catholic and if you don't you're not but that's what that's what happened and i accepted all the answers and i i had a lot of questions but i accepted all I, because i didn't have a problem uh sort of distinguishing the um, baby from the bathwater when it comes to the Catholic Church. I knew how horrible and corrupt the Catholic Church was, certain members of the, the church militant below, here below. But I was very, you know, it was very easy for me to discern the baby from the bathwater and to respect the authority. If I'm going to inquire about the Catholic Church, I'm going to submit at least tentatively to the authority of that church and ask her, what does she teach? What does she teach about this? What does she teach about that? And all of the answers were very, very impressive very impressive even for things that are mysterious even when the church tells me this is a deep mystery and there's no way to comprehend the answer you just have to believe it i accepted it because there was mm -hmm. no rational reason to reject it if there had been a rational reason to reject it i would have rejected it but these things that are deeply mysterious such as free will we don't have a rational basis to reject it we have to accept it it's sort of like a self-evident truth that we have free will for example and the church teaches that we have free will. So I accepted that teaching on authority, even though there is no argument. It's just it's just a, a position that the church offered, and it didn't conflict with reason, and so I accepted it. And it was the same with everything else, including deep mysteries like the Trinity. 
there's no you know we can we can talk about reasons motives of credibility for the trinity but there's no logical proof of the trinity uh that's purely rational and philosophical but i didn't need that because there was no rational argument against the trinity that was conclusive so i was very i was a very good student of the church i said yes to everything and i was constantly seeking for reasons to say no so that i didn't have to become christian but there, that never that never happened. Everything was good. Everything was beautiful. And so I just I just joined. And I want to just say one last thing before I, I turn it over to you. It's that I had my very own Marian apparition. I, I mean, or either that or just a nice dream, where I was going to choose my confirmation name, and I said I told my monk friend that it's going to be Augustine and Saint Augustine because I love Saint Augustine so much, and he's one of the ones that brought me into the faith when I read um, his confessions. And so uh, my monk accepted that. He said, that's fine. And then that night I went to bed and I had a dream, a dream or a vision, I don't know which God knows, um, where Mary came to me and she said, your name is going to be Mary. So I'm David Mary instead of David Augustine. Wow. No, I I, uh, I believe in stuff like that. I believe in dreams and visions. I, I've, I've experienced... Um, uh, me and my family have experienced warnings in dreams, um, things that are inex- inexplicable. Uh, but you also have to be careful because, you know, yeah. if, if God can influence you through dreams, the, the other guy can too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you, yours is a, is, is, a, is a pretty fascinating story. So as you've, as you've tried to, uh, you know, get into more and more and more uh doing videos with with uh people have you found that uh you said at first you wanted to have discussions with non-catholics or maybe people of a of a different you know faith uh tradition and everything like that have you found anybody receptive to that receptive to catholicism or receptive to the idea of having discussions with you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. People, uh, you know, it's a lot of Protestants and a lot of atheists that I have been talking to. I've had about mm-hmm. 300 guests and uh, there are different categories of attitude. Like some people are antagonistic. They love to fight. And I do enjoy that. Um, other people are truth seekers. They want to find the truth no matter where it leads. And they're open minded right. and they're open to uh, listening. And then there are people who are lost and confused who are seeking but without much um, to go on and without much confidence. And there are, a lot of, uh, there are a lot of agnostics who are unwilling to commit to those things that we should be able to commit to, those self-evident truths that we should be able to commit to. Like one plus one is two, and the laws of nature are, you know, are inviolable, and, you know, this is the only universe, there aren't multiverses, and just basic, you know, stuff, right. whether it's from the natural science side or whether it's from the philosophy side or metaphysics or the laws of thought, you know, the law of non-contradiction, the principle of sufficient reason, all these sorts of things that we have to accept. We have to accept them as axiomatic and we can't test them. We just have to accept them as self-evident. There's this disease that's going around called agnosticism where people are reluctant to commit to the most obvious things. And in doing so, they'll reject the obvious in favor of some fantasy story that they read about in some popular science book. Right. It's tragic. It's very tragic. And that's why we have all this evolution nonsense, even creeping into the church. And we have, uh, you know, all kinds of nonsense 
when it comes to sexuality, the family and all these sorts of things, things being redefined, it's because people don't know how to think clearly because they don't have the basic metaphysical principles that will guide them. Even without God, it would, it would help to guide them so at least they can form uh, some reasonable opinions and do what I did, which was use philosophy to get to, do, to, get to God, to get to faith, because uh, ultimately that's, that is the goal, whether you know it or not. And when I was an atheist, I didn't know that my love of truth was the love of God. But as St. Basil the Great said, everyone loves the truth, therefore everyone loves God. Or actually he said, everyone seeks the good, therefore everyone seeks God. Yeah, I think that there are, are people that are just not willing to, you know, to debate honestly. And unfortunately, I, you know, I've run into some of those in in, in my own family. Um, and and at that point, they don't want to know the truth. They're they're more comfortable. They prefer the lie to the truth. Um, <laughs> and I and you know, I, I run into that in Protestant circles a lot. When you run into a lot of uh, Protestants that are just really they're nothing more than anti-Catholics uh, they're they're not willing to defend their own beliefs they're not willing to um, you know answer any questions it's just they attack Catholics and then run and and they usually attack Catholics with with straw men and uh, you know building up uh, you know uh, red herrings of you know beliefs that we don't actually have you know one of one of the my favorites is the accusation that we worship Mary, which is just absolute nonsense. Um, well, I, you know, we do we do worship Mary, but it's the worship of Hyperdulia, and we do worship the saints. It's the, it's the worship of Dulia, but we don't adore them with Latria. That's the difference. So it's a technical language a distinction. But I always, when accused of worshiping Mary, I just say yes, I do. I do worship Mary. Well, it's it's yeah. I have to be careful how it's being defined. See, yeah, well, the word the word cult the word cultist means worship. <laughs> There's no way around it. Like there is the worship of the saints. That's that's just you know if you uh, brush up on your Latin, you'll see right away that that that's the tradition of the church is that we worship the saints. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying. And uh, for instance, like in England, you would say you know like a a, a judge would be considered your worship and the, and the yeah. And, and their, uh, you know, their assembly is the House of Lords. And yeah. uh, so it has to do with, you know, how language is used. But of course, um, but the technical language of the church is that we worship Mary and we worship the saints. Yeah. And we worship we worship God in a way that is infinitely higher than any other form of worship. Like, I mean, some, you know, pe- people worship their cats today. You know, and it's just anything that has any worth and everything does have worth. Even Satan has worth. So, yeah, we can we can worship Satan. But, um, you know, we have to have everything in a hierarchy with God at the top and then the saints and so on, down and down and down. But when you're but when you're talking about worship in the sense of a adoration uh, adoration and adoration, which was what we would call adoration. Yeah. uh, Which is um, an ascent to divinity, uh, a system of sacrifices. um, Yeah. We do not consider Mary to be divine. Course, we do not consider course. any of the saints to be divine. Of course. They're, they are not on the same level as God. Uh, yeah. So in that oh. sense of worship, uh, the, the idea that we worship Mary and the saints, is it's ludicrous. Of course, so, of course. 
it's again uh, how the how the language is used. But when it when it comes down to debating uh, non-Catholics and anti-Catholics, uh, I always like to go back to Sola Scriptura because I really <laughs> that is their that is their weak link. That is their <laughs> weak link because you can't even Sola Scriptura is the doctrine that they believe by necessity uh, because everything else hinges on the pretense that I can read the Bible myself, interpret it for myself, uh, blah, 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 blah. So it's, it's out of necessity that they believe uh, Sola Scriptura, not out of deduction. So I always try to force them back to, okay, defend Sola Scriptura, show me Sola Scriptura, uh, and then I'll be open to believe all the other stuff. And um, yeah, because it's all about won't... authority. It's all about authority. And the 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 irony is that if you reject the one visible head of the visible church, the Pope, if you reject the Pope, you become a Pope, one of many Protestant popes. You just you have to be a Pope because the final judgment rests with you. You are the living magisterium of your little one man church. You know, right. if you're if you're rejecting if you're reject rejecting the church that Christ built and Christ did build one church, not forty thousand, if you reject the church that Christ built and the hierarchy and the authority and the economy of salvation of that one church that Christ built, then you are making yourself a pope, or maybe more technically it's better to say an anti pope or a fake pope, because you with your private judgment, you are deciding every doctrine that you believe. You may have people, experts coming to you and presenting oh, I think this is the true doctrine. And another one says, I think that is the true doctrine. But fundamentally, it's at the end of the day, you are deciding as a Protestant, you are deciding which set of dogmas to approve. So you're like a little mini Pope, right? right? That's the irony of it. So if you reject the Pope, you become a Pope. It's just, it's ridiculous. Right. So the issue is this. Do we do believe in the inerrancy of scripture? Yep, 100%. But but we don't believe in the inerrancy of scriptural interpretation. <laughs> well, we do. We do. We do believe that Christ, uh, that the Holy Spirit pre- prevents the church from teaching error concerning faith and morals. And that even pertains to, uh, you know, but, the interpretation of certain passages of scripture. Well, what I'm talking about is what you were just alluding to a minute ago. We don't. In other words, I'm saying this to a Protestant. Yeah. We, we, we believe the scriptures are inerrant. What we yep. don't believe is that your Protestant interpretation of the scriptures is an error. <laughs> yeah, obviously. So yeah. <laughs> if if God says A and you hear B, <laughs> it's not God that's wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, I do believe, you know, I do believe that um, our Protestant brothers and sisters uh, a lot of them mean very well. They're they're well-intentioned mm-hmm. people, and we know what they say about the road to hell being paved with good intentions. But, you know, they they have a lot to teach me. I've learned a lot from uh, interviewing Protestants, sure, those who are sure. on fire for Christ. You know, there there's a lot to be learned. So I want to give the silver lining to the heresy, and uh, in some cases, the apostasy. And uh, I just wanted to get your reaction to my United Church of Canada story, where they're allowing atheist, explicitly atheist ministers. What do you think of that? I actually interviewed one. The, the very first one, Greta Vosper, I interviewed her on my podcast. What does that What does that say to you that a, a Christian community would allow atheist ministers officially on the books, explicitly allowing them? Well, yeah, at that point, you have to wonder what what, what do you stand for? 
<laughs> if anybody can speak there, why are you calling yourself a Christian ministry? If if there's nothing that sets you apart from the world, if you're going to open the door to the world and its views, why don't you just go ahead and just call yourself, uh, you know, a secular humanist? Right. <laughs> you know, the town square. We're the town square. Everybody, everybody gets to speak. Everybody has a voice. Um, you know, rather than trying to appeal to the to the lowest common denominator, uh, but you know that's what that's the attraction of of uh, a Freemasonry. It always has been. Uh. Is that uh, you know anybody can go in there basically you know with their with with their own flavor of of belief and and uh, you know as long as you as long as you're not mired down in any specific teachings or specific dogma, well that's that's a problem because Jesus and the apostles taught specific teachings and specific dogmas. So yeah. there, there's not, you know, 50,000 different truths, as you said, there's only one. Yeah. Well, you know, the whole question of authority is so important for Christians. Uh, not many have taken the time to really think about authority. And what I always say to a non-Catholic Christian is, you know, does your community, does your Christian community claim to be infallible? Because mine does. And so why in the world would I abandon a Christian community, the Catholic Church, which claims to have, you know, the charism, limited as it is, the charism of infallibility, why would I leave that to go over to you when you're admitting to me that you don't even claim To have right. infallibility. You don't even make right. a claim to have it. See, and I love that, and I've used that argument in debates, because whenever we've had debates, um, we structured the debate so that after the opening statements and the rebuttals, that we would each uh, ask three questions. And one of the questions that I invariably ask is, okay, can you interpret Scripture infallibly? And if you cannot, can you tell me which verses of scripture that you're uh, interpreting incorrectly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because if you can't, why would I trust anything that you have to say? You're, you're, yeah. you're, you're admitting to me that you don't know whether what you're saying is true or not. Yeah. Now, I, can I interpret scripture infallibly? No, but I belong to a church that can. So yeah, uh, yeah. So the most important thing, uh, and I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. That's a, that 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 that's a Protestant, and I told him I said, you know, the two most important things uh, in our Christian walk, humility and obedience. Yeah, humility and obedience are the key. I yep. don't have to be uh, a scripture scholar. No. Now I'd I'd like to be. I'd love to learn everything that there is to know about scripture. I'd love to learn everything there is to know about theology and history because yeah. I have a thirst to learn it. I have a desire yeah. to learn it, but I don't have to. Yeah. Because, and, and this is, you know, this goes back to this argument with this other group that I used to belong to when, well, you know, we look at these apparitions and, 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 and we study them and we look at the messages and we try to figure out, is this against what, what, what the church teaches, and if we don't find anything objectionable, church has already done that for you. <laughs> you. You don't have to do that. All you have to do is read their judgment. 
All right, yeah. and when the church, when you have 21 bishops, okay, because that's what we have in Medjugorje. We have 21 bishops that yeah. have said this is not worthy of belief. Yeah. Well, if that's not enough for you, I I, I don't <laughs> think I can help you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do want to. I just want to mention to you, uh, so that you can put it in your toolkit when you're talking with non-Catholic Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I, you and I are not part of the uh, clergy, the hierarchy there in the church, but we do enjoy a certain kind of passive infallibility. I think you should always bear that in mind when you're talking with non-Catholic Christians. We have a passive infallibility because you and I can pick up our, you know, book of dogmas from the Catholic church that's approved as the Nihil Upstat, and we can point to the dogmas and the scriptures on which they're, from which they're derived and these sorts of things. And we can convey that to our neighbor and we are participating in the infallibility of the church. And there is also that census fidelium, the sense of the faithful, that is a form of infallibility that we, you and I participate in. Now that doesn't mean that you can go and start freestyling. But it's a very limited, it's a very, very limited form of passive infallibility, but it's something that's empowering. I've used it when I talk to Protestants because well, sure. I have, it's, it's not some abstract thing. It's concrete and real. I know that John 6 is literally talking about you have to eat the flesh and drink the blood right. of the God man, Jesus right. Christ. I'm telling you that with infallible certainty it's an infallible mm-hmm. thing that i'm conveying to you now it's a passive infallibility but it's still infallible and i'm i'm owning that and it's empowering me it's emboldening me and i am speaking with authority not as one of the scribes because it goes back to what we just said a minute ago it goes back to obedience and humility yeah i am i'm humbling myself and uh submitting to the obedience of the church and it, you're right. It's absolutely empowering to know that if I do that, I can't get it wrong. Yeah. It's possible for me to get it wrong in terms of anything that I need to know uh, about salvation. I can't get it wrong so long as as I'm obedient. Now, you know, I had a person one time uh, years ago said something to me about, well, the Bible tells you absolutely everything you need to know uh, to be safe. You said, do you agree with that? And I said, yeah, I, I actually do. I actually do agree with that. He said, wow. He said, I didn't expect you to say that you agreed with that. I said, yeah, I, I do agree that the Bible says everything that I need to know to be saved because the Bible tells me to go to the church. <laughs> yeah. That's what I need to know. I said, that's the answer that's in scripture. The Bible tells me to go to the church. And and you open up Matthew 18, 15, 18. It says that if you and I disagree, first we settle it among ourselves. We can't bring two or three brothers, but then go to the church. And then it says, if they do not listen even to the church, well, treat treat them like an unbeliever applies to people who call themselves Catholics. Yeah, I'm afraid, if they won't submit to the authority of the church, again, I, and I keep going back to Medjugorje because it's just such an obvious case of what I'm talking about. If 21 bishops is not enough for you, <laughs> what would it take? 
does Jesus have to appear here himself to tell you that it's, that it's not true? Yeah, it's insane. You know, uh, one of the things I, I ask uh, my Protestant friends, because they're always saying, oh, because I, I always ask them, you know, did Christ build a church? And it says in the Bible that he did, right? It says he, on, on right. this rock, I will build my church. So they can't deny that he built a church. So I always ask them, where is the church today? Where is the church that Christ built? And they, you know what they always say? Invariably, they always give me the same answer. When I ask them where the church is today, you know what they say in response? Take a guess. The church is invisible. It's the, it's yeah. the body of well, believers. Yeah. yeah, that's the second answer. That's the follow-up answer. But the first answer, the very first answer they always give is, well, it's not the Catholic Church. I know it's not the Catholic Church. I know it's right. not the Catholic Church because of the pedophile <laughs> priests and so on and so forth. Okay, well, I didn't ask you. I didn't ask you where is not the Catholic Church. I'm sorry. I didn't ask you where is not the church that Christ built. I'm asking where is the church that Christ built? And they always say, well, I know it's not the Catholic Church. Okay, that's right. all well and good. That's all well and good. But where is it? Uh-huh. And then and then they say, well, it's invisible and all these sorts of things. And then my follow up question after that is, well, what do I need to what do I need to belong to the invisible church of Christ, the church that Christ built, which is invisible? How would I know if I qualify to be a member in good standing? And they say, well, you have to believe in Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and these sorts of things and blah, 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 blah. And I say, check, 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 check. So I'm part of the invisible church. Right. And they're like, well, I guess so. If you believe that. <laughs> and I right. do. Of course I do. Of course they do, because, you know, it's so basic. The things that they're asking me to, to assent to are so basic. You know, right. that Christ, Christ is God, and uh, he's my Lord and Savior, and I have a personal relationship with him, and I need him for salvation and all the things that they list. Yes, 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 yes. So why, why are we not united? I don't understand. If we're on the same page, we're both Christian, we're both part of this invisible church, what's the right. problem? What's well, the here's problem? Well, an- Here's an argument that I used to somebody just recently within the last few weeks. I said, okay, so imagine that you had 100 people in, in a room, okay? And you divided the 100 people up in, into, into two groups. Those who said that school buses are supposed to be yellow – and those who said that school buses are not supposed to be yellow. Uh-huh. And you had 50 people in each group. Okay? okay? So 50 people say, all 50 people in one group say school buses are yellow. Yeah. And all 50 people in the other group say school buses are not yellow. Okay. But you go to the 50 people in the other group and say, okay. School buses are not supposed to be yellow. What color are they supposed to be? And you go and you go one by one, and they say, "Well, <laughs> yeah. they should be red, or blue, or green, or orange, or pink, or yeah. any other color in the world, but yellow." Okay? Uh. <laughs> I, I said, "Now, if that was to happen, if you were in that situation." <laughs> What color would you decide that school buses most likely should be? I would, based on that alone, I would say, well, school buses obviously are yellow because all of the people who say that they're not yellow can't agree among themselves, so they can't be trusted. 
They don't have any unity. They can't make up their mind what they believe. So you end up proving (laughs) our case by the fact that we're the only church that everybody else in the room is united against, but you're all fighting (laughs) with each other, but you're all united against us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my favorite saint, uh, well, next to uh, the big ones, uh, Mary and Joseph and St. John the Baptist and all that, but my favorite one to read is St. Augustine. And he said, I would not believe in the gospel were it not for the authority of the Catholic Church. I would not believe the gospel, but for the authority of the Catholic Church. Bam. Yes. The end. end of conversation. End of the conversation. The only thing you could put at the end of that is a period. <laughs> yeah. And and for the record, I have I have actually read uh, Saint Augustine's Confessions twice. Beautiful. I read it. Yeah. Uh, I want to read City of God. I uh, haven't. Uh, amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's um, full disclosure. If I read all of the books that are currently on my list, that are currently <laughs> yeah. on my list of books uh, left to read, uh, I will finish by the time I'm 843 years old. Yeah. So <laughs> you'll you'll be the next Methuselah. Right. Right. Um, I've already. I, I would say in the last two and a half years, I've read about twenty thousand pages. <laughs> <laughs> No, no exaggeration. Literally, Amazing. that's a literal. That's a literal number. About twenty thousand pages, um, <laughs> and 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 frustrates me is whenever I walk into a a Catholic church that has books, like has a library section, or I walk into a Catholic bookstore, or a Catholic library. You know, I, I might find if I among all of the books that there that are there, I might find three or four titles that I have, and I'm like, oh my god. I, I haven't scratched the surface of what's of what's <laughs> out there. Um, tell me some other works that have that have really influenced you. Some other Catholic books that have really had a big influence yeah. on you. Uh, there's, I think it might be anonymous, but it was the one that brought me close to God when I was an atheist was the Cloud of Unknowing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, once I became a Christian, it was all about St. Augustine. And then St. Anselm is very impactful on me. St. Anselm, his prayers and meditations, and his philosophy, but his prayers and meditations especially, highly recommend that. Um, also, uh, St. Alphonsus Liguri, his uh, preparation for death and other works. I have, his, uh, I have his complete works on my Kindle device, and it's going to mm-hmm. take me a lifetime to read all of that. And all of, I have the collected works of St. Augustine. But uh, it was St. Augustine, St. Anselm, and, uh, you know, I was highly impacted by um, many, many saints that I've read. You know, I have uh, certain little devotions and things I do, like uh, the uh, Jesuit uh, examine, St. Ignatius of Loyola, examine prayer and these sorts of things. Um, There's a a set of readings, a collected set of readings in the eastern uh, part of the church, the uh, Desert Fathers, called the Philokalia, had a big impact on me. Uh-huh. Because it, it talks about the appetites, and I'm I'm indulging in my appetites all day, every day, with it, selfish. It, interesting that interesting that you brought that one up because that's one of the ones that's sitting on my bookshelf. Are you um, serious? It is. How many well, volumes? Got, how many volumes is it? It's four volumes. Okay, it's big. But it's one of the it's one of the ones that's sitting on my bookshelf, taunting me because I, I bought it me. and said I I need to read this. 
and 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 haven't read it. Just there's just so many. There's it took me um, eleven months. It took me eleven months to read that. Eleven months. Yeah. And it's well, painful. It's very very painful. It's an ordeal. It's like it's like the worst guilt trip you'll ever feel in your whole life. If you're anything like me, if you're lazy and selfish like I am and love food and whatever, then you're going to feel really condemned. Well, not condemned, but you're going to feel like you got to change your life. So I'm trying yeah. to fast more. I'm trying to be less self-indulgent, but it's it's really focused on that, like how to be uh, less uh, feeding your appetites less, and it's uh, it's very challenge, very very challenging. It's on my yeah. mind uh, every day. You know, it's on in, my mind every day. The interesting thing I will tell you of all the books that I've read, um, the strangest story that I can tell you, and like I said, I've read so many. <laughs> St. John of the Cross, uh, St. Yeah. Teresa of Avila, St. Teresa of Lisieux, St. Catherine yeah. of Siena. Yeah. So many. I've read the entire Mystical City of God by Maria of Agreda. I've read the entire works Amazing. of St. Catherine Emmerich. So yeah. I've read uh, Thomas uh, Kempis, The Imitation yeah. of Christ. Love it. So Love it. That's one of my favorites. So many that I've read. The yeah. one that I read the only one that I read that I really reacted negatively to, uh, which is very interesting, probably a guy that's, if, if he's not my very best friend, is one of my two or three best friends. And he knew that I was going through some really, really difficult, dark stuff. And he said, you need to read this book. And it's uh, Maintaining Peace. Uh, uh, attaining and maintaining peace by uh, Father uh, Jake uh, Felipe. Okay. You familiar with the book? No. Okay. Anyway, the, re the reason why it was so bizarre, the reaction that I had to that book, I, I had almost like an angry reaction to it. Uh -huh. um, and, and I remember, and, and I remember saying something to him about, uh, you know, I, I just don't think that book was the answer. Um, it, it, it almost made it sound like, uh, you know, uh, achieving and maintaining peace is too easy. He made it sound too easy. <laughs> so let me let me tell you about this. So a, a few months later, several months later, I was like, okay, why is it that I read all these other books and had this positive reaction to them? But this huh. one book troubled me so much. Huh. And I said, I need to trust my friend. I said, Pete is, is maybe the best friend that I have. He's actually a deacon now. Oh. I, said, I, need, I said, I need to read that book again. I said, maybe, there's, 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 maybe I was just in the wrong disposition when I read it. Maybe I missed something. I need to read that book again. Well, at the time that I made that decision, I was actually reading a book, and it was a classic on spiritual uh, combat. And I don't remember exactly what the title was that I was reading at that time, but I just gotten to the end of that book, and it said other titles that you need to read that will help you in your spiritual journey. And bam, that book was in there. Uh -huh. I was like, okay, okay, God, you don't need to hit me in the head with a two by four. <laughs> I, I, I did it, and I began reading that book again. And 
the first night I read maybe about 25 or 30 pages of it, and I had nightmares all night. Oh. I had nightmares all night. And when I woke up the next morning, I said, okay, now I see why I'm having this reaction to this book, because this book has the answers. Uh. I said, this book has the answers, and that's why the the devil, the evil one, is hitting me so hard. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and I went back, and I re- read the book, and the book indeed did have the answers. And I understand why it was so difficult for me to grasp at first yeah because because my reaction was almost like i was angry at god saying god if you just give me a break if you just stop stop pounding on me for five minutes and work some miracles in my life maybe i could have some peace maybe i could have some uh you know some some peace and at that moment, I heard that still small voice inside of me. I didn't hear it audibly, but heard it clearly. Heard that voice saying inside of me and said, no, John. No. First, you find the peace. Then I can work the miracles. Yeah. I had had it turned completely around. I didn't have peace because I didn't have faith. I didn't yeah. have enough faith. I didn't trust. Um, and I, and, and another friend of mine, uh, actually conveyed it to me the same way, uh, uh, right about the same time. It was the combination of these two events because I told her, I said, Christy, when I pray for months and months and months and months and I hear nothing, I mean, people tell me, be quiet, be still and listen. And I go to adoration and I sit before the blessed sacrament quietly. Lord, speak to me, and I hear nothing, not a, not a message that I disagree with or not a message that's hard to hear. I hear nothing. I hear silence. Christy told me, she says, when you hear silence from God, that is a very clear message. He's giving you a very clear message. And I said, okay, Christy, what is that message? And it's the same message that I got from this book. You have to trust me you have to trust me i'm taking you places you don't understand so you have to surrender and you have to trust me and that was revolutionary and now i I realize that sometimes the answers we don't get the answers right away sometimes the answers confront us Make us see things we don't want to face or things that are difficult for us to face, and we got to go back and revisit it. You ever had any experience like that? Absolutely. I mean, uh, it brings to mind some of the more challenging aspects of my faith journey since COVID. Uh, everything went to hell, uh, figuratively speaking, and uh, they shut, started shutting down churches. I didn't have access to the sacraments. My prayer life suffered, and I started falling into uh, old uh, sins. And it was just a chain reaction. And I started, at the end of COVID, I started saying, okay, I've got to get my stuff together here, start going back to confession, start going to, uh, the, you know, uh, get my communion. And uh, I 
tried to do some extra stuff. Like I set up a spiritual journal where I keep track of what I'm doing and I try to keep track of my strengths and weaknesses and my walk with Christ. And I tried to do the, um, the uh, first five Saturdays devotion, which I've always, I've always struggled with it. And the, the reason I'm telling you all this is because the struggle is real. And when you try to do something good, uh, not because it's a checklist, like, okay, I'm going to do this checklist work so I can earn my way to heaven. No, but to say, look, I'm unhealthy. I need to get healthy to get healthy. I need to, right. you know, pur- purge myself of sin. I need to get right, right with God. I need to walk the walk. I need to do what God tells me that I have to do for my health to be alive. I have to be in the state of grace. And so I have to get back on board. And so I'm telling you this because when you, when it's one thing, if you're, if you just give up and you're, you're floating loose and you're falling back into sin, that's one thing. But when you're saying, I'm going to do this and that, I'm going to, you know, go to church, I'm going to make an effort. I'm going to do this devotion or that devotion. Um, And then the attack doubles and triples like the demonic attacks double and triple. Yeah. Then, then you realize, wow, uh, someone doesn't want me getting back in the state of grace, right? And, and, and I, I know, and it, I, see, <laughs> and yeah. I see, David, that's what happened to my family. Yeah, that's yeah. what happened to my family. In fact, I had a Catholic counselor told me that. She says, you know, I don't know what it is about your family, but the evil one sure has thrown everything in the book at you. I mean, we've been through yeah. stuff that, and 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 unfortunately. Um, you know, I had a counselor ask me one time, did you believe that you bear any of the responsibility? Uh, do you believe that you bear any of the responsibility for, you know, everything that your family's been through? Or I said, of course. Of course I do. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I said, in fact, I said, here's, here's what I would say. Um, I would say that you had um, five people who were all victims and all victimizers. We all we yeah. all found new and interesting ways to hurt each other. <laughs> you know, not you know, not deliberately, but we just can't just um so caught up in this you know, vicious cocktail of life that uh uh we we did damage to each other. I said, yeah. but here's the difference. I said, here's the difference. One decided to get better. And the yeah. other four decided to get even, <laughs> and 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 you know that's really where we are. So one the other thing that I wanted to point out is that when one of the things that I found fascinating about reading all these books uh, was that every time that you read one of these books, you you read about a devotion of another saint or another book, and uh-huh. something like, oh, what about this? And it <laughs> and it happened to be it was one of the books that I actually. Um, I believe it was a list from Father Mike Schmidt that he listed three books that every Catholic should read. And one of them was The Way Way of the Pilgrim. Are you familiar with that story? I have not read it. Is it uh, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, Paul Bunyan or something like that? No, 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 no. It was The Way of the Pilgrim. It's a a Catholic – it's it you know it's interesting because earlier you were saying a book uh written by an anonymous author that's the book I thought you were referring to because it's actually the only book in my collection of books that I have so far that the author is anonymous they don't know who wrote it ah 
but very interesting that he in in this book and he and it basically he was uh um he was homeless and he traveled around from place to place and he only had uh he had two prized possessions inside of his backpack and one was his bible and the other was his philokalia ah which, uh, yeah so i said hmm and he kept talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. I said, I got to get that. I got I to get that and read that. I got it, but I haven't read it yet. <laughs> well, I have. it's on my Kindle. I just looked. It's on my Kindle, The Way of a Pilgrim, and The Pilgrim Continues on His Way. Anonymous 19th century Russian peasant author. Yeah. So I actually have it on my Kindle, but I, my book, my reading list is so bloated and constipated, as I like to say, that yeah. I don't know what I'm going to get to next. You're like, yeah, you're like me. You'll be 843 years old when you're done. <laughs> I wanted to mention uh, St. Louis de Montfort uh, uh-huh. as one of my greatest influences in terms of what I read on the on the rosary and <laughs> his, just his writings in general. And uh, The Glories of Mary by St. Alphonsus Liguria. If you haven't read The Glories of Mary, absolutely one of my all-time favorites, yeah. The Glories of Mary. Have you I read it? Tell you- I want to tell you a little story about St. Louis de Montfort that I think you're going to find kind of funny. Of course. So, uh, like I said, the apostolate that I used to belong to, uh, I was the one guy that was always doing creative stuff. I was always trying to create stuff that was a little bit, you know, to kind of keep people's interest up. Yeah. So, I was toying around with my audio software, okay? Uh, Mm -hmm. Hold on a second. I looking for my glasses so I could see what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I was toying around with my audio software and, you know, different voices and stuff like that. Um, and uh, I'm going to show you. And took the class of voice like this one, okay? Can you... Did you hear that? I heard a deep voice. I couldn't understand it. Okay, let me try it again. So can you hear it now? A little bit. It's deep. I am, I am the Prince of Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I did this, I did a voice like this, okay? Pretending to be the old boy, okay? Yeah. Okay, I'm back now. So anyway, <laughs> added a lot of reverb to it and and some sinister background music to it. Made it. I mean, it really sounded really real. Okay. <laughs> and and we had a debate with the devil. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And I, I recorded cool. and I recorded the part so it sounded like it was. It believe it or not, this this program that we did took me 20 hours of production work wow. to put this thing together. Send so me that the link play, to that one. Plays like it's in real time. Yeah, of course. And we did this we did this debate with the devil. And yeah. ab- about that time I was reading St. Louis de Montfort and tripped across uh, a story that I had read years ago and forgotten about and was reminded about it reading Louis de Montfort that I thought was just hilarious. <laughs> okay. And it's the story where St. Dominic is Preaching on the Rosary. Are you familiar with the story? No. Okay, so 
So St. Dominic is preaching on the rosary. And at that point, the rosary had 15 mysteries, now has 20. But he was preaching on the rosary, and this Albigensian man came and started taunting him. This Albigensian man, God had allowed him to become possessed by 15,000 demons. One one thousand for each of the each of the mysteries of the rosary that he spoke out publicly against. Wow. So Saint Dominic is shaming this this man publicly, humiliating him by forcing him to confess, forcing the demons to confess which saint they fear the most. Uh huh. And and he's trying to well I'll whisper it to you. No, I, you're going to say it out loud so all these people can hear. And and the demons were you know were were protesting and fighting, and he asks Our Lady for assistance, and she appears with a golden rod in her hand, and she walks up and hits the possessed man upside the head and says, <laughs> "Answer my servant Dominic at once." <laughs> and it's a true wow. story. Wow. So. In this debate with the devil, we actually worked that in there. <laughs> I, I recreated it uh, in in a, a audio um, kind of a tribute to that, where um, you know the the, the guy who's debating the devil asked him a question, and the devil was trying to squirm out of it, and not give not give an answer to the question, and out of nowhere, Mary appears from heaven, walks up, thumps him upside the head, and says, "Answer my servant at once." What was the answer? Who's the saint they fear most? I mean, it must be Mary. Yeah, it obviously was Mary. Yeah, but he <laughs> he didn't want to he didn't want to admit that he was you know that you know the terrified of a woman you know. <laughs> yeah. um, but I just thought that was a very interesting little anecdote in that in that book. Um, it's a it, that's an interesting book because it's um, it's. True devotion to Mary and total yeah. consecration. Yeah. Or, Did you do the consecration? I ha- I have. I've done it. I've actually done it twice. I've done the consecration to Mary twice. I've done the consecration to St. Joseph twice. And it's interesting that you talk ah. about the the Saturday devotions Yeah. Uh, and the Friday devotions because uh, today I actually did my first, what I hope is going to be the first of, of, of nine. Friday devotions completed that successfully once in my lifetime. Nice. I'm hoping this will be the second time. And nice. uh, I've already also done the Saturday devotions once. So, yeah, it takes a it takes a lot of commitment, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of graces available. Yeah, it was a struggle. It's been a struggle. I've tried. I've I've attempted it many times, and I've always failed. Like there's always some confusion. And God is not the God of confusion. He's the God of clarity and truth. So there's right. always some confusion that enters into my calendar. And there's something like I just for, like get confused or show up on the wrong Saturday or something. Maybe it's just because I'm stupid. But I, I think there's something more to it where I've tried many times and always failed. And then uh, this last time, I think I got it. I think I, I think I finally got one under my belt. I'll have to do it again, you know, hopefully multiple times. But uh, yeah, Satan really doesn't want us getting these graces, and he doesn't want us uh, getting into heaven or anything like that. So he'll yeah, put he'll really, he'll really sidetrack you. 
Well, David, yeah. listen, um, we had talked off the air about ways that we might be able to cooperate and kind of work yeah. together, and I'd be interested in, in, in exploring that going forward. Of course, yes. we have 10,000 things we want to try to do here, but you and I are both yeah. up against the same obstacle that we work yeah. around full-time jobs and uh, yeah. do this when we're able to do it, but I hope that, we'll, that, that we will be able to um, find ways to work together. Yeah. Well, listen, my my thing is that I, you, you know, I have this Calendly app where you can book a spot on my podcast and mm-hmm. I send it to potential guests. I say, hey, if you'd like to talk about your faith or philosophy, here's a link, book it on my calendar and we'll talk. But uh, with you, um, you know, it's an open invitation. Like anytime you want to come on, just look on my Calendly, find an open spot, book it. You don't even need to tell me about it. It'll show up on my email. I'll get the notification It'll be automatically on my calendar, and then uh, we'll just talk. And if you want to give me a heads up about what you want to talk about, that's fine. Otherwise, we'll just pick up where we left off. But it's an open invitation. It's a friendship that we have uh, instantly, and uh, we are kindred spirits. That's the way I like to think about it. Yeah, well, the same the same is true in reverse, and, uh, you know, definitely want to have you back and um... – you know, if you ever want to write articles, we've we've got a blog or appear on the radio show anytime, um, any way that you want to be involved on our end. You, you know, I'd like to get you on, uh, get get us together one of these days and just start talking about some of these, some of these books. Um, I've got to figure out what I'm going to try to tackle next. I will tell you what, this: one of the one of the sets of books that's staring at me on my bookshelves is. The uh, the Summa Theologica. If you want to go through that together, I mean, that would be that would be a big, big project, but we could at least start it sometime. But that's a that's a, a daunting task, but it would be fun to go through it and sort of uh, question by question, you know, because he's very systematic. And uh, you're you're familiar with a lot of his articles, right? Like you've read a lot of the uh, different yeah. uh, questions yeah. and answers. So, you know how he works. So uh yeah, he's uh wow. He's uh he's on a higher level. I will tell you one more I want to tell you one more book that really Im- impacted me that I was really surprised at how much it impacted me was uh um I've always I've for a long time had a devotion to uh Lords, our Lady of Lords. Yeah. My daughter, Megan, my youngest daughter, was born in 1990, and I named her Megan Bernadette. Ah. And while she was still, I think, even, you know, still very, very young, I went out and bought this book, uh, St. Bernadette's uh, Subaru by uh, uh, Francois Trocou, with the intention that she would be able to read it about her about her namesake, well, unfortunately, she never did. Okay. And that book sat in my collection of books, and it had to be thirty years. I've had that book, <laughs> never read it. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, I decided, well, I'm I'm going to read it. And there were actually pages were falling out of it. <laughs> Uh, you know, just because it had been sitting, you know, but, uh, you know, the pages fall, fell out of it. I put them right back in, but I read that book and I was just, I was really, really, um, 
astounded. She suffered a lot. She mm. really did. She mm. was uh, uh, her. You know, she she suffered physically. She suffered um, uh, emotionally. She was ridiculed and scorned. And uh, I, you know, before then, I had a tremendous amount of respect for for Saint Bernadette. But it went up. It went up. You know, after that. So. Well, she, I always think about her in the context of the rad tribes, the set of Acantus and these sorts of things. And, of course, the progressive, uh, you know, pro-choice Catholics and all these sorts of things. Because she said, I only fear bad Catholics. That's a quotation that sticks with me. That's something that really, that really hits home with me because it's true. You know, when Christ was walking the earth, he was friendly with the repentant tax collectors and prostitutes. But he was very, very harsh on the zealous religious hypocritical Jews of his yeah. day because the religious hypocrisy, those whitewashed tombs are absolutely disgusting and the fall of the best is the worst. So if you're going to be a pope, you're going to be a bishop, you're going to be a priest and you're going to be an unrepentant sinner, I don't think there's much that's more offensive to our creator, right? Right. No, you're absolutely right. The, the, the other thing about St. Bernadette that I that I like to point out to people, people who talk about Medjugorje, again, going back to the Medjugorje thing, there's a story in this book where her little brother accepted a coin, one coin from a, a family that gave him this coin as a reward for him them down and showing them where the grotto was and when saint bernadette found out about it she marched that little boy all the way back and made him made him give that coin back because we are absolutely not going to have even the impression that this is something that our family is profiting from and their family was very poor very poor. Um, in fact, when when uh, the when she saw first saw the Virgin Mary, they were out gathering sticks for firewood. Okay. Yeah. They were now contrast that with the six Medjugorje visionaries who are all multimillionaires living in you know mansions, smart homes with manicured lawns and tennis courts. Um, doesn't doesn't sound to me like. Uh, you know, it, it's the same kind of situation. How about you? Absolutely. It just stinks. It just stinks of uh, the demonic antichrist. So another another thing that was coming to mind as you were speaking there was Fatima. I forget which of the three uh, shepherd children said, uh, I think it was one of the girls who said, to as a warning to us to stay away from filthy lucre, meaning stay away from money. She had a vision, I guess, where she saw how many souls were lost due to money. Now, we've also heard in Fatima and uh, possibly Lourdes about the uh, sexual sins being yeah. another big killer of the of sins, sins of the flesh. Yeah. Bringing bringing people to hell. But there was that one citation from Fatima where they said, stay away from filthy lucre, meaning money. Um, so that's interesting, too. There seems to be a, a common discuss denominator for, yeah. for sin like the these innocent seers uh 
that had these visions and these apparitions and had this contact, this supernatural contact with the divine and with the our blessed Virgin uh, Mother, uh, they they know what's up. They know what is acceptable to God and what is not acceptable to God, and they're horrified by sin, and they're horrified also by the fact that some people are going to hell merely by dint of the fact that there's no one to pray for those souls. So there are people that are just by default falling into hell. And so we need to be diligent in our prayers for those who are not receiving prayers. You know, I'm so glad glad you brought that up. I I really am because that, that hit me very hard when I read that too. And, and I try to remember whenever I say my evening prayers or whenever I say my rosary, I always try to add in uh, not only on earth, but in purgatory as well, those who have yeah. no one else to pray for them. Yep. Um, and, and, mm-hmm. on, uh, and, and then when I, when I pray for people on earth who have no one else to pray for them, I, I kind of try to break it up into two categories. One, category one is those who are carrying very heavy crosses, very yep. heavy burdens. And then uh, number two, those who are in danger of yeah. an unprovided death. Yeah. Because – I'll tell you, I've known a lot of people that have gone through a lot of tragedies and a lot of horrible things. There is nothing on this earth. There is no tragedy that measures up to the tragedy of dying in an, in, uh, in an unprepared state. That mm. is the worst tragedy that can be. Uh, you know, when you die, it's either going to be. Uh, the single greatest moment of your entire existence or the single worst. It's yeah. not going to, it's not going to be average to anybody. No. Uh, you're, you're, you're either going to know at that moment, even for the souls that go to purgatory, it's going to be a moment of great joy because they joy. know they're saved. Yep. Then they know they're saved. Uh, but I shudder. I absolutely shudder when I, when I think of the souls that will hear those words, depart from me, you accursed. Um, far be it from me or anybody I ever know to, to you know, to hear those words. Yeah. Um, did you hear? Did you hear what uh, Fulton Sheen, uh, Venerable Fulton Sheen, said about the two? You know, well, the the four last things: death, judgment, heaven, and hell. But the basic mm-hmm. the basic idea is that when you meet your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at the moment of your death, either you're going to say to him, thy will be done, or he's going to say to you, thy will be done. And Saint, uh, well, he's not a saint yet, but Venerable Bishop, Bishop uh, Fulton Sheen said, you know, we should start preparing now to get in the habit of asking for God's will to be done. Not my will, but God's will be done. Even Christ himself gave us the example when he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done, God, your will be done. And so we have to get yeah. in the habit of that, lest on, you know, at the moment of our death, God should say, God forbid, that God should say to us, thy will be done. Because, you know, either we, like St. Augustine said, there are two cities characterized by two loves. This is out of the city of God. There are two cities characterized by two loves, love of God unto contempt of self, or love of self unto contempt of God. That's what the whole book's about. And that's what this whole life journey is about. 
Are you going to get in the habit of subjecting your will to the will of God? Or are you going to dismiss God and let your will re- reign supreme and yeah. you be the, and, fi- and, the final authority? And, and you know what drives me crazy? When I hear people say, well, I'll be happy if I just make it to purgatory. <laughs> uh, and and I, my answer is always the same. Listen, if you're aiming for purgatory, you're going to wind up in hell. Yeah. If, you should not be aiming for purgatory because no. what are you saying to God? What are you saying? You're saying, God, what is the absolute minimum that I can do <laughs> to get? Because that's yeah. the message that you're sending. Yeah. You're you're, you're you're accepting Christ as as Savior but not Lord. You're trying to yeah. get fire insurance is what you're basically trying to get. <laughs> um, Absolutely. You know, uh, rather than say. Uh, Lord, what is the absolute most that I can do for you? Uh, and and that's the mindset that I try to have, that I try to live up to. And I'll be honest with you, um, I fall short many, many yeah. times, <laughs> many, many times. Uh, but that's what I'm shooting for. What I'm shooting for is, and and it's uh, you know. The, the the Bible says, and, and I've talked to people about this, the Bible says fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, yeah. great. But it shouldn't stop there. It says it's the beginning <laughs> of wisdom. Yeah. It should progress after that. There yeah. There is a certain necessity of of us to have that, that servile fear, that fear of offending God, uh, fear of, of uh, falling into mortal sin. Yeah. But we should progress from that. We should try to avoid sin, not because of that fear, but because of the fear that we have of hurting God. Yeah. It, it, we we should try to avoid sin because of our love of God. That's what we should aspire to. And and we don't always – I've fallen short many, many, many times. Too many times to count and thank God for the glory of uh, – the sacrament of confession. Yeah. Yeah. Well, David, that's the same I, thing. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just Finish wanted to thought. say quickly. I just wanted to say very quickly before we sign off here that it's like contrition. I would love to have perfect contrition, but very often my contrition is imperfect and it's, it's good. It's just not perfect. And so it's right. the same thing with my love of God. My love of God is good but it's not yet perfect. And, you know, St. Alphonsus Liguri, one of the things that he drills in time and time again is that we need two things, perseverance in the faith, and we need to ask God to give us a stronger and more powerful love of God. Those are two things that St. Alphonsus Liguri emphasizes time and time again. Ask for divine love. Ask for the love of God, that our love of God be enkindled more and more and more. And the second thing, to have that perseverance in the faith, because like what you were saying with an unprepared death, like it's too late. You're not going to be, you know, on your deathbed and then miraculously be full of virtue and strength and, and courage. No, you're going to be confronted by the demons. It's going to be, you're going to be weak and confused and you'll be easy prey for the demons. So let's get in the habit now of asking God for more faith, more love, and uh, that will give us hope. No, absolutely. David, it's been um fascinating discussion. I really enjoyed having you come on the time uh, flew by. In fact, we went uh, almost 35 minutes into the archive. I don't know if you realize that. Oh, oops. 
but uh, I, I enjoyed every every minute of it, and I definitely do want to have you back on again. And uh, we'll we'll be in touch on how we can maybe work together on different things. Like we're we're working with some of these other groups like Catholicism Rocks and everything. Because you know oh, we're all the way. Okay, I had that guy on my podcast. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we're going to have we have a Catholicism Rocks show on uh, for the four persons. One of their it's one of our shows we do for them. Nice. Uh, and that'll be tomorrow night. So if you want to tune into that, uh, yeah. So we're all kind of rowing for the same, you know, in the same direction. If you would, uh, David, would you leave us with a prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. God, we love you and we thank you because every blessing comes from you. Every good thing comes from you. We have our life. We have our health. And we have, uh, you know, work and food and water and uh, things that we take for granted here in the first world in the West. We take for granted that many, many people don't have access to. So I want to thank you, God, for all your blessings, the most basic things, the things that we forget to thank you for. I want to thank you for that. And I want peace and justice here on earth as there is in heaven. But it seems like our world is in chaos and confusion and so we're just waiting patiently, God, for you to come to come again and to bring true and lasting peace, which can only be achieved by life in the Trinity. And that's what heaven is. So please, God, save us, help us. And Jesus, your name means that God saves. So please live up to your name and save us. In Christ's name, we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you, David. Have a wonderful weekend, and I can't wait to uh, hear from you again. Amen, brother. We'll keep in touch, and I'll have you on my podcast again soon. And uh, I truly do love you, and I'm uh, praying for you and yours, and I hope you're going to pray for me and mine. Absolutely. You can count on that. Take good care, my friend. All right. God bless. God bless you.